Have you ever yearned to refresh the scent in your living room, sifted through your candle collection, only to happen upon a 22-ounce jar candle from the Yankee Company with the flavor label Schnitzel with Noodles and thought to yourself, why'd I buy that? Then do we have a show for you. I'm your Virgo host, Ryan. And I'm your Taurus host, Abe, with Why'd I Buy That, the podcast where we explore and examine the impulses and influences behind the things we buy, the principles and pitfalls, the economics and execution, the stories and psychology in ads and the world of advertising. This episode is all about one thing and one thing only, product placement. We'll put on some shades, travel to a very remote island, sample some delicious candies, but first, let's get our definition out of the way. Product placement is just like it sounds. You're placing your product somewhere, except in this, I guess in this instance, you're placing it on a screen in a world uh, that where your product isn't necessarily the, the featured item. It's, it's showing up in a movie as a, a prop or an element or some part of a sitcom or in a music video as a hat or whatever it is. But your product is appearing in uh, motion pictures. In somebody else's content, whatever that content is. Yeah, in, in a larger universe, in yeah. a larger world. Product placement is a close cousin to the celebrity endorsement and to influencer marketing. In all three of those instances, the idea is that your product will gain popularity and you'll see greater sales if it's featured in the hands of somebody popular that everyone likes, whether it's a, an actor, an influencer, a singer, or a fictional character that everybody is fond tap of. Tap dancer. Yeah, uh, the biggest tap dancers wear product placement shoes. That's uh, yeah. something we all know, right? Yeah, it's a very common element. Yeah, if somebody who has status in society is wielding your product, then, hey, that's that's cool. That's a, a status symbol. It's fun. It's neat. It's unique. It's uh, it's something you want. I, I crave that Pepsi that Michael uh, Jackson is toting around. Yeah, and his hair catches on fire in the commercial shoot, and, <laughs> and uh, everyone's really excited. Yeah. Well, let's look at a classic example of product placement, and it comes from uh, a source I, I hope you've heard of, hope, I think a lot of people have seen this film, classic film from the early 80s, E.T., The Extraterrestrial. So as they were producing, as they were getting ready to film E.T., Amblin Production, uh, Steven Spielberg's production company, approaches Mars Incorporated, the owner of M&M's. They said, hey, we want to put M&M's in our movie. And Mars says, no. We don't like your movie. Our brand has nothing to do with aliens or space. We might be Mars, but yeah, no, exactly. we're not. We're not I, I we don't want anything to do with it. It's really ironic. Like Mars Inc. You're called Mars Inc. This film's about extraterrestrials, but you don't want to have anything to do with extraterrestrials. In fact, after this, I, there was uh, a movement to rename themselves Earth Inc. Well, like, I think the idea was like Earth. they wanted their candy only associated with Roman gods and had no, nothing to do with yeah, space. It's, it's too far out yeah. there, those aliens. So check Mars Inc. off the list. Amblin approaches Hershey's and uh, their new Reese's Pieces uh, candies. And they say, hey, can we use Reese's Pieces in our movie? And Hershey says, sure. In the movie, E.T. is lured out of hiding in a Hansel and Gretel-style trail of uh, Reese's Pieces that lead from this kind of shed thing and, you know, along the grass and all the way into the house. And uh, it works. E.T. follows this trail of candy because aliens are so gullible. If, if movies have taught us nothing, it's... Yes, aliens if, are... They've only taught us one thing. Yeah, they're stupid. If you... Aliens can easily be fooled by candy, colorful candies, yeah, yeah. brown, orange, yellow... 
Yeah, so how much did Hershey have to pay to teach the children of the world this lesson about alien gullibility? Well, as it turns out, they had to pay nothing. Uh, Hershey Foods did not pay a dime to have their food, their product featured in this movie. Uh, after the fact, they did agree to pay a million dollars for the merchandising rights to be able to use E.T. in their packaging and advertising. But for the movie itself, they paid nothing. They just let Amblin yeah, use they, the candy and All they that. did was consent to have their product appear in this Steven Spielberg film with this you know, little alien creature. So how did it turn out for Hershey's and for E.T.? Uh, did he ever make it back home? Well, it turned out really well for all of those parties. Depending on who you ask, within two weeks of the premiere of E.T., sales of Reese's Pieces went out of this world. You see what I did there? Uh, some reports say it was 65% increase, 85%, and some even say sales tripled. The point is, they went up a lot. It was a big cash cow made a lot of money uh for this product this this candy that hershey's had uh as part of their family of candies yeah that was that's the big success story of et product placement but what's not as well known is the fact that at&t paid a lot of money so that et would say et phone home instead of et telegraph home which was what was in the original script i had no idea yeah, yeah. that's what i'm saying it's the lesser well et had been around a lot for so long the script had been kicked yeah. back and forth kicked around since the 1890s yeah, in production and, yeah. hell for decades and at some point some at&t guy said you know what wait Maybe a second we we've got this. phones now Let's it's phones. smoother yeah. it doesn't stumble et doesn't stumble on the line telegraph home just phone home that was a very, very nerdy tangent that I'm, I'm glad we went we on. We loved it. And yeah, it's, we're completely justified yeah. in doing so. In, in hindsight, looking back on it, it's easy for us to say, man, Mars Inc., M&Ms, you totally dropped the ball, right? Yeah, that's why nobody eats M&Ms anymore. <laughs> that's right. It's a, it's a stern lesson. Well, ET fans, hardcore ones, will well, they, turn their noses right, up if absolutely. you offer them M&Ms. Yeah, they'll vandalize that's it. That's how you know that they love the movie. Absolutely. This event was kind of a game changer. Prior to this, media companies like Amblin would have to pay or would ordinarily pay uh, Hershey's or, or somebody else to use their product in a film. Now the shoe is on the other foot. These product owners, these companies, Hershey's, is wanting to pay uh, movie makers or television shows or music videos, hey, will you use our product in your show? Um, there's value in our product appearing alongside these celebrities or in this context. Well, it's time for a short break. Uh, I can see a trail of Reese's Pieces in our studio here, and I kind of want to see where it ends, and who knows, maybe I'll get back to my home planet. Finally. Yeah. I, where I mean, are you from? Montana. I don't know if that counts as another planet. Oh, well, some, yeah, in some ways, yeah. Uh, either way, we'll, uh, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll meet with one of cinema's high-flying mavericks. We're back with Why Did I Buy That, talking today about product placement. We've talked about E.T., the lovable alien. Lovable, horrifying alien. It was pretty... It's a terrifying movie. Yeah, as a kid, I remember sl uh, slinking down into that theater yes, chair. Yes, yes, that's exactly what I did. Scary, yeah. Uh, and how Reese's Pieces boosted their sales almost overnight thanks to product placement. Let's flesh out the topic of product placement with a little bit of pro and con. Why would you or wouldn't you use product placement in your marketing? Let's start with the pros of why product placement is such a good thing or can be such a good thing. Maybe the biggest recommendation or reason you want to involve your product this way is product placement 
is not aggressive. It's, it feels natural. It's, it's passive. It's subtle. Your product is going to appear inside a larger universe and feel, if, if it's done right, feel like it belongs there. It, it doesn't feel out of place. It's not jarring. It's not unwelcome like a, like a commercial would be. If it's done right. It just happens to be the, the type of car that your hero is driving or the uh, logo in the background uh, you know, on a poster in the movie or uh, the type of soda that your hero is drinking. Another pro, kind of along those lines, is that the mood of the viewers is usually translated to your product. Usually uh, people are in a good mood when they're watching yeah, a movie or a show. Exactly. They're and relaxed, the mess- having fun with friends. Yeah, and that message is going to get through. So if you're watching James Bond drive an Aston Martin uh, and it's exciting and thrilling and it looks like a sexy, high-tech ride, those feelings are going to trans- translate and transfer to your product, that, that people will f- identify your product with those feelings. A third pro behind product placement, uh, you have the audience's undivided attention. They're watching this show, this TV show, this music video, this movie, because they want to. Their attention is not being drawn somewhere else. They're engaged right there. They're not surfing their phone, updating their Instagram account. They're watching this movie. You have their full attention. Our final pro uh it can't be skipped. If you have your product in a movie, people aren't going to skip it or jump past it or ignore it or yeah, close look their at eyes. their phone or uh, you know play a video game while it's on or go to the bathroom. Uh, there, it's integral. It's integrated to the plot. It's essential to what's going on. You can't just not look at half the screen. Yeah, they're they're going to see your product. Yeah, the yeah. audience is going to see it. Those are those are the pros or some of the pros. There's a couple cons, of course, with product placement. First one, uh, restricted creative control. If you own this product, you no longer you're, you're handing it over to the director of the movie or the show. They're the ones in charge, uh, and they're going to dictate largely how or where or when your product is going to be appear, is going to appear or be used. You don't get to say, "Oh, well, I don't like the light there," or "Well, our product shouldn't really be used that way," or uh, that sort of thing. You, you have some influence, but it's it's certainly not as much as if you're making an advertisement exclusively for your product. Uh, a second con of product placement is that it costs money. Uh, you got to place a lot of money in somebody else's bank account in order to get your stuff on screen. Yeah, in order for them to place your product in their movie. Yeah. That, let's see what we did there. I was clever. Back Cleverness you expect from this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's... T- Take a look at a case study uh, of another product. Step away from the candy jar for just a minute and consider Ray-Ban sunglasses. Their uh, Wayfarer model was designed in the early 50s by a fellow named Raymond Stedgman, which, I mean, that's a great name for a designer for sunglasses. Is that why they call them Ray-Ban because Raymond Stedgman? I think he was associated... I, I don't know if he was like the son or something. I think there was an association. There's just there. a lot of Raymonds going around, apparently. Yeah, in the something. 50s, there was a, a surplus of Raymonds, and they had to land somewhere. And this guy happened to land as a uh, sunglasses designer. Hmm. Uh, well, as it turns out, the Wayfarer brand was very well received. Uh, design critic Stephen Bailey, who apparently goes around commenting on people's sunglasses just randomly in public, uh, praised them, saying that the distinctive trapezoidal frame spoke a nonverbal language that hinted at unstable dangerousness, but one nicely tempered by the sturdy arms, which, according to the advertising, gave the frames a masculine look. 
These this That's also how they describe you, right? Like unstable, dangerous, unstable, dangerous, sturdy arms. That was my nickname in high school. Sturdy arms and a masculine look, isn't that? Yeah. <laughs> unstable dangerousness. Yeah, absolutely. That Abe, unstably dangerous and got sturdy arms. You can probably picture in your mind this particular shade. I mean, it's it's kind of in in my mind at least. It's kind of the quintessential fifties uh, uh, sunglasses. They they look great. I think it's a really good looking pair of sunglasses. And these sold well in the 50s and 60s, uh, but into the 70s and early 80s, sales were starting to slump. Then Ray-Ban signed a deal with a company called Unique Product Placement out of Burbank, California. They paid $50,000 a year to place their sunglasses in movies and TV shows. And so from 1982 to 1987, these glasses appeared in 60 movies and TV shows, including Miami Vice, Moonlighting, and The Breakfast Club. Another movie they appeared in, Risky Business, with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is wearing these shades and looking cool and sending off the vibe of all sorts of unstable dangerousness. However, his arms are not very sturdy, which is weird. But he does have uh, a masculine look about him. That's true. Right? He couldn't argue that. After selling only 18,000 units in 1982, sales for the Wayfarer model of sunglasses went up to 360,000 the very next year. Yeah, right as a, this contract kicks in and these products and are risky appearing business comes in movies. Out right then. Yes, exactly. That's a 2,000% increase. That's $1.5 million in sales annually for Ray-Ban as a result of placing these glasses in these movies, particularly Risky Business. Celebrities started wearing these sunglasses, this this model of Ray-Bans, Billy Joel, Madonna, Elvis Costello, uh, members of U2 and Queen, even Michael Jackson. And there's even references to wayfarers in fictional novels and in Don Henley's Boys of Summer song. Few years down the road, Top Gun comes out, another big movie that features Ray-Ban's uh, aviator model. Yeah, different, same company, different model of glasses. And it's same actor, right? Tom Cruise is now wearing these aviator shades and looking really cool. Top Gun also includes Pepsi as part of the movie. You can see Pepsi products. In fact, this movie was such a big hit, such an ad, in fact, for the, the Navy that they literally had recruiting booths set up in some theaters to capitalize on the craze, on the popularity. And the number of people who joined the Navy wanting to be aviators went up 500% shortly after Top Gun. this movie. That's the power of Tom Cruise. And some shades. Yeah, I, I would say that Ray-Ban owes Tom Cruise a big debt. All this talk of sunglasses makes me want to don my pair of Wayfarers and engage in the risky business of impersonating Tom Cruise at the sofa store. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll make our way to one of cinema's most remote islands. And we're back with Why'd I Buy That, talking today about product placement. Product placement is big business, and it's getting bigger. In 2012, it was a $4.75 billion industry in the U.S., and it's projected to be an $11 billion industry in 2019. Double. It's more than double. So it's, it's really growing. There are lots of products in movies. I mean, it's obvious. If you're going to film something in the real world, you need real-world objects and locations and, and things. Yeah, right? your character has to have a, a car to drive and some clothes to wear. Food and, to eat. Uh, shoes and socks and pants. Cell and phones to talk on. Something to drink. It has to be refreshing. It has to be either Coke or Pepsi, it seems like, right? Yeah, and it's a lot. There's a lot going on in these movies. Uh, and we talked a little bit about you know that money changes hands anymore for this sort of thing, but is that always the case? 
Yeah, you might ask, if I'm a maker of movies or a music video or a film, can I use a recognizable product or logo or brand or location or trademark in my film without paying for it? Can I do that? The short answer is yes, absolutely you can. Yes, Abe's short answer hinges on two legal points. Number one, you have to use the item for the purpose for which it is intended. So if you have a Nike logo on a shirt, you use it as a shirt. The other legal point, uh, the audience can't be led to believe that the brand or store or product or whatever is associated with your film in some way. It just has to be part of the environment, but there can't be this implicit, oh, well, this movie was sponsored by Nike, or they really are in agreement with this message. That's if you want to avoid money changing hands. There are some cases where companies will pay you a lot of money to use their Absolutely, stuff. yeah. So as long as you're doing those two things, legally you're okay to use a product or, or whatever. Yeah, in your, you, you don't need your, anyone's permission to do it. You don't have to pay a cent to anybody. You don't even have to ask. In fact, in a lot of instances, a product is used in a movie that, with no money changing hands. Nobody pays anybody anything. Uh, studio doesn't pay. Brand doesn't pay. Uh, it happens all the time, probably more often than you imagine. Uh, but when it's natural, it can actually be hard to spot. Ryan, let's play a little game of guess what movie Abe is thinking of. And here's a hint. It's not Jurassic World or Jurassic Park or any of the Jurassic, any of the Jurassic Park franchise movies. Okay. okay. All right. Has to do with a fellow who works for FedEx. Mm-hmm. He's in love with Helen Hunt. The They're... actress or somebody played by Helen Hunt? <laughs> played. Well, maybe both. I don't know. Played by Helen Hunt, certainly. Maybe the actress, but played by Helen Hunt, who's working on her, I think, thesis dissertation something. Uh, and he's a little bit of an overweight, mid-level executive in this in FedEx. He takes a flight. And he ends at, up crashing and at, becomes the castaway. Actually, yes, it's just castaway. Becomes yes. a castaway, right? There's two big products that are throughout this movie, the two brands that are really featured and integral even to the plot of the film, FedEx and Wilson, right? Wilson, the lovable volleyball friend and associate uh, of... How many brands can say that their product became a character in the movie? Yeah, that's you don't rare. Have, oh, that's Coke really can... You were my best friend, yeah. Yeah, so he crashes on this island, makes friends with Wilson, and, you know, through a series of... It's a great film. I love it, right? It's fantastic. Really enjoy this movie. Finally makes his way back home, and what's the last thing he does? Is he goes back with that stupid FedEx package that he didn't open yeah. and drove everybody crazy. Delivers yeah. it to this lady with the, like, wings yeah. kind of logo wings thing. Drawn, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So surely, of course, it has to be the case that FedEx and Wilson both paid big money for their product appearing, right? No, there was none. There was no paid product placement in that movie. Yeah, in fact, Robert Zemeckis directed this movie and had something to say about that very thing. He said, there was absolutely no product placement in Castaway, but weren't paid by anybody to place products in the movie. I did that in the past, and it wasn't worth a little bit of money that they give you, because then you end up with another creative partner, which you don't need. Yeah, the director didn't want to have to use some phony baloney uh, made up Hollywood logo and shipping company to tell this story. It wouldn't seem to be authentic, wouldn't feel real. So they asked FedEx, hey, can we use your likeness, your logo, your imagery, your planes? Imply uh, that your pilots are terrible and you can't fly through a storm. Right. In this movie. And they and they said, sure. And and that was it. That's all. There was there wasn't a, any money changing hands. 
The same is true for Wilson in Castaway. The, the Wilson volleyball gets about 11 minutes of screen time. Uh, so how do they pick Wilson? That's more than Helen Hunt, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think so. How do they go with Wilson and not Spalding or, or some other, I don't know, any other ball manufacturers, but Spalding? Why didn't they go Spalding? Garbage. Literally, that's the answer. Garbage. Washed up on the shore. In preparation for this movie, screenwriter Bill Boyles Jr. went on a 10-day isolation survival campout all by himself in this island uh, off of Mexico. And a, a Wilson volleyball washed up on the shore. One day, he dressed it in seaweed and started talking to it. And that's where the inspiration came that's from. That's only after 10 days. He went completely insane. Yeah. Never and recovered. he's still lost. Nobody's ever yeah. found it. They found the script, but yeah, he's he still wrote the script left on the on island, the island and, yeah. there somewhere. Yeah. He shipped it FedEx, and it actually got it got through. Yeah. Uh, it's like Tom Hanks says in the movie: "Tomorrow the sun will rise, and who knows what the tide will bring in? Who knows where your great idea for product placement will come from?" Yeah, I think it's really ironic that because there was too much, too many Wilson volleyballs in the world, one of them became trash and floated up on this shore and happened to be picked up by the screenwriter, and that inspired the actual Wilson that you see in Castaway. I think that's yeah, really ironic. That's a great story. So throw out stuff into the ocean. Uh, uh, you never know when, when a screenwriter is going to find it. So just continue throwing <laughs> trash yeah, anytime you're as on a much cruise, as possible. Just litter yeah. pictures of your family, yeah. your name, your likeness, uh, any companies you work for. Yeah. It's good practice. Fill and if you're a brand, with, just throw a bunch of stuff out in the garbage. ocean. Garbage. Yeah. Anywhere. Well, well-crafted product placement feels natural, organic. It feels like it belongs. It's seamless. It's even subtle. It's not as abrasive as a traditional ad. Uh, it's not as annoying or invasive. And that's what gives it so much power. Uh, and it does have a lot of power, but is it necessarily effective? That's kind of up to debate. Uh, sometimes you can definitely see the, the the positive results, as with the sunglasses or with Reese's Pieces. Uh, but some people are really bothered by it, and some people have really embraced it. Yeah, it seems like it's one of those things that when it's done poorly, it really draws your attention to to it. And and like uh, Robert Zemeckis is saying, it, it takes you out of that experience of the movie. You don't want to have to worry with it being real or fake. Yeah, sometimes you can pay a lot of money and not much happens. Other times, uh, you don't pay anything, and Robert Zemeckis puts your stuff in the movie and it becomes an iconic character. That's it for our show today. If you liked it, subscribe. If you didn't, then don't tell subscribe anyone Subscribe anyway it. and tell everyone to love it. Why'd I Buy That is produced by Saxton Horn Communications, and our engineer is Justin Dial. If you have comments on today's episode, questions about advertising, ideas for future episodes, or you'd like to tell Abe that Lamborghini is just not interested in supplying products for his Instagram selfies, please visit our website at saxtonhorne.com. Until next time, we wish you endless supplies of Reese's candies, the coolest and hippest Ray-Bans to wear, and a new best friend either descending from another planet or washing up on the shores at your next vacation. This is Why'd I Buy That. Thank you for listening. <laughs>